Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody. Okay, today we're talking about poverty and environmental effects on mental health. And, you know, there is so much material involved in this uh, this concept. But, you know, I've got to get outside of of uh, just the realm of what we live in in a safe society where, where we have law enforcement and safety laws. Uh, not that they're always there to protect us. Not that it's always going to 100% do what it needs to do to make us feel safe. But most societies... Uh, feel very safe or safe to some degree. And when you feel safety, what happens is your brain can now begin to expand on possibilities. And that means, what can I do for a living? What can, you know, can I take a chance on doing something really intricate and really knowledgeable? Or do I have to be using my hands and, and working hard labor? Because Basically, the economy I'm in or the city I live in or the country I live in is not well-developed technologically, and so I have to do a more primitive uh, job skill. You know, when you live in a third-world country, you're you're not concerned about technology. You're more concerned about daily day-to-day survival. The other thing is, in third-world countries, for instance, and in places that are impoverished, there is no law enforcement, so people have to watch out for each other. And if there is law enforcement, oftentimes the power that they hold corrupts them. And so uh, uh, many of them know that their decisions uh, are, are going to have to be affected by a court system, and that court system may or may not be one that functions very well for any type of society. So we all don't realize, those of us that le- live in, in safe societies, we, we don't understand that the environmental factors that develop the brains of people that live in those third world countries oftentimes are struggling and oftentimes they're learning things they have to learn to survive rather than function as human beings. And so a different type of development takes place in people that are impoverished because they are more worried about survival. They're more worried about defense. They're more worried about safety. They're more they're they're less inclined to make school a priority, especially if they have to work at home just to sustain uh, a food on the table for each other, or even travel to get water because water may not be available at least safe water in the community they live in. So, you know, looking around you, it it has an effect on the way your body works and your body develops, uh, the foods you eat, the peers that you surround you, and even the noises you hear are all part of an endless list of environmental factors that influence you each day. And it's important that people are made aware of the social and environmental factors that impact a person's mental health and and take advantage of really eye-opening opportunities uh, that become available. Being aware of the factors that influence you is the first step in making positive life changes. Now, look at home and work environment. On the average, most people spend about, and we're going to talk about poverty 
on a great chunk of the show. But what I'm talking about today, right now, at this moment, is environment. Most people spend about 40 to 50 hours per week at work, and that's if they live in a progressive society. Because you're spending roughly 33% of your waking time in a working environment, it has a substantial impact on your mental health. You know, some of these impacts include the influence on your mood, like rooms and offices with bright colors, both natural and artificial, can reduce depression and anxiety when decorating your home or work uh, office. Consider using more green as it has been linked to an increased creative thinking and concentration. And avoid dull colors like gray and beige as they're more understimulating and depressive. So the impact on your behavior and, and the internal motivation, if, if you're unorganized person and tend to live surrounded by clutter and mess, then your mental health may be negatively impacted. For, for an example, if your daily routine consists of you just dropping off your belongings on the floor when you come home from work and scattering your desk when it, it encourages you to have scattered thoughts and poor concentration. So by keeping your work and living area open and free, you may experience an increased level of mental awareness. You know, having a clean environment also motivates you to maintain a level of organization with your daily tasks. You know, also uh, environmental uh, factors impacts uh, interaction with family and guests. Like having an unappealing uh, clustered work or home environment can be uninviting to guests and families while having clean areas encourages people to engage and chat with you. So regular social interaction has been linked to increased immune system, reduced depression, better sleep, higher productivity, mental sharpness, overall longevity, and, and that is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, physical health is important foundation for your mental health. We know that people who are not physically healthy are at a higher risk of depression and disease, cardiovascular disorders, obesity, cancer. But a healthy uh, lifestyle can be equally as impactful on, on your mental health, regular exercise, dieting. You know, uh, your brain is literally uh, 33% more or more fat. It's fat. It's the fattest organ in your body. You know, spending time outdoors, positive relationships, relaxation, meditation, they show to help prevent age-related cognitive loss and psychosis. Also, a sense of belonging. You know, if you belong to a church, belong to some kind of organization that does good, you know, that's all a good thing because that sense of belonging also allows us to accept ourselves. You know, the things that you should avoid environmentally is like smoking, uh, drug or alcohol abuse, overworking or unhappy work environment, poor diet, poor sleep, uh, a lax, lack of relaxation time. If you don't get enough relaxation, you're not going to respond well to anything in your environment. You know, every year more than 42 million American adults suffer from some sort of mental illness, depression, bipolar, schizophrenia. They're on the top of the list, but they aren't the only conditions that to, to be aware of. When you neglect to make healthy lifestyle decisions, you are more susceptible to many more negative impacts on your mental health. Some of those things include uh, a, a, a lack of ability to enjoy your fully enjoy your life, uh, ability to convey various emotions 
or identify and develop your personal strengths or balance diverse life aspects or recover from a depressive state. So don't hinder yourself. Be conscious of the home and work environment you've created for yourself and make positive lifestyle changes to ensure that your mental health is a good condition. But, you know, let's look at poverty. You know, an alarming 21% of children in the United States, that's just the United States, live in poverty. And, And to lower this number and transform the American dream into reality, we really need to understand the complicated effects of poverty on the brain. You know, also... Over 75% of the elderly population in the United States live in poverty. You know, the most consistent finding when you in, when you really do a, a deep dive is that that stressful or traumatic life events experienced by children growing up in poverty are associated with smaller hippocampus of the brain. The hippocampus is a really important structure involved in the consolidation from short-term memory to long-term memory, and it contains a high density of stress hormone receptors. So interestingly, parents' uh, caregiving style and the amount of environmental stimulation in the child's home mediate the relationship between poverty and brain structure and having nurturing parents and increased exposure to things such as books or trips or musical instruments at home appears to reduce the impact of poverty on a child's brain structure. You know, um, some argue that it can ultimately help policymakers by yielding detailed insights into specific mechanisms underlying the predictive link between poverty and children's cognitive and emotional functioning. You know, a behavior innovations may be developed more effectively when there's a better understanding of the factors that 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 uh, affect the brain and affect the cognitive process, especially when a child's in development. You know, although not everyone agrees whether neuroscience is needed to describe the problems of poverty, but but neuroscience is necessary because it has a direct correlation with poverty. It's responding. Your brain is responding to poverty, the stresses of poverty, the stresses of lack of choices, the stresses of looking around at other people who have much more than you have the resources in which you have to use just to get by, the resources and dependence that you have on other people just to function as a family because you don't have enough within the unit of yourself. And so it's very important to to look at poverty on the brain. And, And the good news is in a lot of studies, it can be reversible and the brain may well be able to compensate for damage in the long term. You know, a smaller hippocampal volumes are found with children who suffer physical abuse or grow up in families with low socioeconomic status, but not for children who suffered early neglect and they were later adopted into enriched and potentially less stressful environments. And those children's hippocampuses grow. So the more choices that we have, the greater our brain is able to expand and take on new knowledge that's not necessary for survival. So what causes poverty? Well, you know, number one, if you just look at very simple, simple terms, an inadequate access to clean water and nutritious food uh, will cause poverty. 
over 2 billion people in this world don't have access to just the basic clean water at home, while over 80 million suffer from hunger. You may think that poverty causes hunger and prevents people from accessing clean water, which you may be right, but hunger and water insecurity are also big reasons why people struggle to escape extreme poverty. If a person gives enough food, they simply don't have the strength and the energy needed to work. And while the lack of access to food and clean water can also lead to preventable illnesses like diarrhea, and when people must travel far distances to clinics or, or spend what little money remains on medicine, it drains already vulnerable populations of money and assets. It can knock a family uh, from poverty to extreme poverty. So even if clean water sources are available, they're often located far away from poor rural communities. And this means that women and girls collectively spend some 20 million hours every day walking long distances to fetch water. And that's precious time that could be used working or getting an education to help secure a job for later in life. You know, the other thing is little or no access to livelihoods or jobs. This might seem a bit like a no-brainer, but without a job or a way to make money, people will face poverty. It's it's easy to assume that if someone wants a job, they could have one. Well, that's just not true, particularly in developing and rural parts of the world. Dwindling access to productive land, often due to conflict or overpopulation or climate change, and, and over-exploitation of resources like fish and minerals is putting an increased pressure on many traditional livelihoods. Just look at Congo, the Democratic Congo, uh, for example. Most of the population lives in rural communities where natural resources have been plundered over centuries of colonialism. And so while conflict over land disputes basically forced people from the land they relied on for food and money, now more than half of the country lives in extreme poverty and and inconsistent work and, and low paying jobs can land a family in poverty. Absolutely no work means that a family can't get by without assistance. And so, You know, the other thing is conflict. Conflict causes poverty. Any area in the world where conflict pops up, whether it's in the United States and Carolina or in uh, Los Angeles, in New York, anywhere where there's conflict, especially on a large scale, protected violence uh, uh, that we see in places like even like Syria and like, like, you know, Middle East, it can halt society. It can destroy infrastructure. Look at Guatemala. Uh, Look at Ecuador. These kind of countries have enormous amounts of conflict. Central America in itself, many of those countries, people are migrating through Mexico trying to get to the United States for safety. Um, Not that there isn't a large drug population and a lot of other problems with those folks. But the deal is, is that a lot of these folks are migrating to get away and their life is not about making money. It's about escaping and safety. And also, these people that are so vulnerable in poor countries 
uh, they bear the brunt of conflict. And during periods of violence, especially female-headed households be, become very common. And because women often have difficulty getting way, uh, well-paying work, they're typically excluded from the community decision-making. And their f- families are very vulnerable. So in high-conflict areas where men are fighting, the men are gone. They're fighting. They're killing each other. And guess what? The women are left to pick up the pieces. And so lots of very dangerous things happen in those scenarios where women are raped, women are taken advantage of, children are raped, uh, people are vulnerable, there's a lack of safety. And so, you know, even small bouts of violence can have a huge impact on communities that are already struggling. You know, if farmers are worried about their crops being stolen, they're not going to invest in planting. You know, women are particularly vulnerable in these conflicts because they usually become targets of sexual violence while they're fetching water or working alone. You know, there's also uh, other causes of poverty. And as, as you can see, you know, the mental health status on somebody without any water, without nutrition, without access to a job, living in conflict. That's called PTSD, folks. I mean, that's just continuous trauma that folks live in. And we, as a world, have to be more aware of how we can help solve these problems and help create safety and infrastructure in places where people can't survive. And that doesn't mean we as a country in the United States need to assume all the responsibility for the world, but we as a world need to take uh, some accountability for trying to help these populations either leave where they're living and come somewhere more safe or develop better communities where they live. You know, there's inequality. Many There's many different types of e- inequality from economic to social uh, inequalities like gender, caste systems like you see in, in uh, uh, Middle East uh, or you might see in uh, India, you know, tribal affiliations. No matter how the, the, the inequality, it generally means the same thing. No access to the resources needed to keep or lift a family out of poverty. Sometimes inequalities are obvious, uh, but, but in other situations, it's subtle. You know, for example, the voices of certain people or groups might not be heard like in community meetings, meaning they don't get a say in important decisions. Regardless, these inequalities mean that the people affected don't have the tools they desperately need to get ahead. And for already vulnerable families, this can mean the difference between being poor and living in extreme poverty. There's also, you know, poor education can cause poverty. Not every person without an education is living, you know, extreme poverty. But, you know, uh, education is what it takes to survive in a country or a place in the world that is uh, a, a trying to be sustainable all right we're going to take a quick break we're going to come back we're going to talk a little bit more about poverty and then we're going to go into uh, homelessness and a few other things and then we're going to target mental health come back it's your world motivate change succeed voiceamericaempowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. 
Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about poverty, environment, and those their, their factors on uh, mental health and how they affect people. You know, education. Not every person uh, without an education doesn't function. But most of the extremely poor don't have an education. And we have to wonder, why is that? Well, there's a lot of barriers stopping children from going to school. Many families can't afford to send their children to school and need them to work. Uh, Many of these families are violent or suppressive and have uh, caused a lot of damage to their children that they're afraid uh, for for other people to know about. There's a lot of family secrets. Uh, Mars still don't see a benefit in educating girls you know, educating, uh, education is often returned, uh, referred to as a great equalizer, and that's because education can open the door to jobs and other resources and skills that a family needs, not just for survival, but to thrive. Almost 171 million people could be lifted out of extreme poverty, according to UNESCO estimates, if, uh, if they left school with basic, just basic, reading skills. And with even more education, world poverty could be cut in half. Also, you know, climate change is enormous. And a lot of people don't realize this. You might be stunned to learn that the uh, the World Bank estimates that climate change has the power to push more than 100 million people into poverty over a 10-year span. As it is, climate events like drought and flooding, severe storms, disproportionate impact on communities already living in poverty, hurricanes. You know, why? Because many of the world's poorest populations rely on farming or hunting and gathering to eat and earn a living. So they often have only just enough food to assist 
uh, and assets to last through the next season and not enough reserves to fall back on in the event of a poor harvest. So when natural disasters hit people, including droughts uh, that have been taking place for years because of El Nino, it leaves millions of people without food and even pushes them farther into poverty and it can make recovery even more difficult. And what's funny about that is, is that as these people uh, live in these environments where climate change has happened and there's been rapid change, they have to leave their environment. And where do they go? Well, they're going to go where they feel the safest. And so, you know, a lot of countries are, are uh, holding people out and they don't want the people to come in because they've lived in poverty. They're not the kind of population that is going to uh, help the country grow. There's going to be a lot of work and money involved in cultivating these people. And so prejudice takes place and people are blocked from uh, immigrating to safer environments. So they end up going from one uh, um, vulnerable environment to the other or just rely on what they have, where they're at, and try to make their way through it. You know, uh, the, the also, we, we often talk about infrastructure in this world, but imagine that you have to go to work or to a store, but there's no roads to get you there, or heavy rains have flooded your route and made it impassable. You know, what would you do? You know, a lack of infrastructure from roads to bridges to wells to cables uh, to cell phones to Internet can isolate communities living in rural areas and living off off the grid uh, of normal life means the inability to go to school, to work, to market, to buy, to sell goods. You know, traveling farther distance to, to access basic services not only takes time, it costs money, keeping families in poverty and isolation limits opportunity. Without opportunity, many find it difficult, if not impossible, to escape extreme poverty. So, you know, extreme poverty in itself can cause enormous amounts of mental illness. The also, let's look at other factors, limited capacity of the government. So a lot of people living in the United States are familiar with social welfare programs that people can access if they need health care or food assistance. But not every government can provide this type of help to the citizens. And without the safety net, there's nothing to stop vulnerable families from backsliding further into extreme poverty if someone, something goes wrong. And ineffective governments also contribute to several of the other causes of extreme poverty mentioned above as, as they're, they're unable to provide necessary infrastructure or ensure the safety or security of the citizens in the event of conflict. So people themselves are vulnerable just existing in some of these countries that have poor governments. There's also looking at the lack of reserves. You know, people living in poverty don't have the means to weather the storms of life. So when there's a, a drought or a conflict or illness, there's little money saved and assets on hand to help. And, and so, you know, these kind of things... These kind of factors force people to live in a sense of survival. They live without the need for uh, uh, a lot of good communication. They don't have a lot of learning. They don't have a lot of emotional intelligence, let alone uh, 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 intellectual intelligence. A lot of their communication is more primitive. It's more focused on basic needs and basic communication, uh, basic functioning, like go, you know, going out in the field to work, going hunting. And that doesn't mean their life isn't joyous. 
But what it does create is a brain that doesn't evolve into what many of us live in today in this uh, global economy. Now, let's look at homelessness. You know, a homeless population, the vast majority of the people that are out on the streets, the homeless people, have mental illness. Uh, Many of them have severe mental illness. And this in itself is a very difficult struggle because mental illness is a 24 by 7 job. It's 24 by 7 and it takes lots of people and lots of resources to manage someone with mental uh, illness, especially when they're unaware that they have a mental illness or when they're unable to maintain themselves and stay off of drugs and alcohol and be able to be treated by medication. A lot of these people don't have the ability to manage their lives. So they live out on the streets and they live with each other and they try to make it by. But the you know people with poor mental health are more susceptible to the three main factors that lead to homelessness, poverty, disaffiliation, and personal vulnerability because they often lack the capacity to sustain employment. And they have little income. They have delusional uh, thinking that often leads them to withdraw from friends, from family, from other people. And this loss loss of support leaves them fewer coping resources in times of trouble. So mental illness can also impair a person's ability to be resilient and resourceful. And it can cloud thinking and it can impair judgment. And for all these reasons, people with mental illness are at greater risk of experiencing homelessness. And the amazing thing about homelessness is you can now throw out all the rules because you yourself are homeless. You have nothing. There there are no rules to follow because right now it's just about survival. And so law and, and all kinds of, you know, any kind of uh, legal uh, definition or, or the needs of a particular person or manners or, or sense of, of justice is not there for homeless people because they don't have the ability to to think in terms of oh be polite or oh do this you know or or, or you know not show myself on the middle of the street with with half a t-shirt and ripped pants I mean homelessness in turn amplifies poor mental health it, it brings poor mental health way up there. So the stress of experiencing homelessness may exacerbate previous mental illnesses and encourage anxiety, fear, depression, sleeplessness, substance use. Because God knows these people just want to escape. And you know what's amazing? If you look at the Bible and you look at especially at Jesus and the New Testament, and I'm not going into preaching here, but, but what I'm trying to suggest is that his main focus was society had pulled away from the poor. Society itself and religion itself had pulled away from supporting people that are needy, are flawed, have bad, have poor mental health, have poor physical health, have all all kinds of just poor in general. And, and so Jesus focused on telling the people, "Hey, you people that have money, you people that have are the ability to function, need to share and support your resources for the people that don't have them. And that is where many times his arguments were to face society and demonized and made the, the people that are rich, the people that were 
uh, stealing the people that were a part of the the religious infrastructure. He attacked many of them indirectly by supporting the poor and by moving his energies towards helping people who were needed needed him and needed the poor in society. And in uh, Christianity, this is supposed to be a part of how we operate as people, is that our concerns are to be about populations that can't necessarily take care of themselves and at least provide them a step up in order to create an opportunity for them. So, you know, uh, uh, public safety, you know, without, uh, without public safety or education or transportation or affordable housing, affordable medical dental treatment – People with mental illnesses, it's, they're going to exacerbate. And when providing care to those experiencing homelessness, it's essential to create a non-threatening, supportive atmosphere and address basic needs like food and shelter and provide accessible care. People with mental illnesses experience this homelessness for longer periods of time and have less contact with family and friends. And in general, 30 to 35% of those experiencing homelessness and up to 75% of women experiencing homelessness have mental illnesses. 20 to 25% of people experiencing homelessness suffer from concurrent disorders, meaning uh, uh, conjoining disorders, disorders that that, uh, ride alongside uh, such as uh, 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 mental illnesses and addictions. People who have severe mental illnesses over represent those uh, experiencing homelessness and as they're often released from hospitals and jails without proper uh, community supports in place. So community-based mental health services play an important role. Homelessness could be drastically reduced. People with severe mental illness were able to access supportive housing, as well as other necessary community supports. They they encounter more mental illness uh, barriers to employment and tend to be in poorer health than other people experiencing homelessness. So housing outreach churches, uh, uh, services that provide a safe place to live are a vital component of stabilizing the illness and helping people and individuals on their journey to recovery if they can be. You know, as somber as it may sound, there, there's a direct connection between homelessness and alcoholism and drug abuse. You know, facts show that homeless people often appeal to substance abuse to help them cope with their problems and their situation. And it's a vicious circle that, that uh, one can't break without help. So abuse and addiction are real issues that require treatment and counseling and something those who are most vulnerable don't have access when they need it the most. You know, let's look at homelessness and, and drug abuse. Drug abuse is both a cause and a result of homelessness. More often than not, these issues appear after people have lost their homes and are trying to find different ways to cope with the situation and be accepted by their community. You know, uh, when one problem gets worse, it, it usually affects the other problem. The relationship between homelessness and drug abuse is somewhat codependent. You know, drug abuse can be both the cause and the result of homelessness. People that are homeless uh, turn to drugs will have more difficult times solving their housing problems. And, and people that are already struggling with drug abuse, losing their home can trigger them to, to even more drugs and more frequency. So, so what is our trajectory? Well, substance abuse has been and continues to be a persistent problem, especially in the United States. You know, uh, um, 
In 2013, approximately 24.6 million Americans over the age of 12 had used a drug in the past month. You know, also looking at homelessness, it's a significant issue in the U.S. And uh, um, on, on any given night, let's just look back in 2016 and the studies that were conducted back then. Uh, this was an annual homelessness assessment report in 2016. Approximately 550,000 people were experiencing homelessness in the country of the United States, with the majority of 68% staying in emergency shelters and the rest in unsheltered locations compared to more recent years, homelessness has declined uh, uh, since 2007. You know, drug abuse uh, leads to homelessness and homelessness can also lead to drug abuse. They just play hand in hand. But mental illness in itself plays a big factor in why people turn to drugs. Because self-medicating is much easier than having to get uh, a, a medicine or having to get a doctor or having to get insurance. And so they turn over themselves to the drug dealers to escape their issues. You know, uh, certain population subgroups are a higher risk of mental disorders because of greater exposure and vulnerability to unfavorable social, economic, environmental circumstances, which is uh, interrelated to gender, number one. But let's just take a look at the person's brain who has to live on the street. They have to beg for food. They have to, they, they're carrying signs around to ask people to help them. Most people ignore them. Most people don't even want to look at them. Most people don't want to answer them. And they just stand there. Sometimes they're violent. Sometimes they're on drugs. Sometimes they're, they're embarrassing. Sometimes they're humiliating. And, and so the deal is that people that, that, that live in poverty don't follow the rules, guys. And, and so people that are living in poverty and that have mental health issues aren't going to follow the rules. If we don't begin to find a way to manage to help some of these people in this world or in the society, in the little cities that we live in, we are doing ourselves a great disservice, not only to ourselves, because it corrupts our, our society, creates a lot of problems, it, it deteriorates our real estate, it deteriorates the quality of life, it de deteriorates our, our children's safety. With these people uh, uh, on the street living in poverty, if we don't try to, to create some sense of help for them, they're going to use us as their resource to help them. And that means we become targets. And so, you know, the reason that a lot of governments take poverty seriously and take homelessness seriously is because they realize the potential that if those populations aren't served and if the people that are out on the streets with mental illnesses aren't somehow served, they will turn in, turn into the people that have the resources and create an enormous uh, rebellion. If, if you look at, at France, uh, when the French Revolution took place, this is exactly what the problem was. It was the haves and the haves-nots. The people that have and the people that have not. And the have-not overthrew the haves. And that is a repeated historical thing that takes place in life if we don't try to take serious mental health and poverty and homelessness. So come back. We're going to talk about the social ramifications. We're going to get back to what stress does to people's brains. So come back. <laughs> ¶¶ 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something that is unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about poverty and environment and uh, how that affects uh, people's mental health. And, and, you know, a significant body of work exists that emphasizes the need for a life course approach to understanding and tackling mental and physical health inequalities. And so the approach takes into account the the, uh, differential experience and the impact of social determinants throughout life. You know, a life course approach proposes that actions to improve the conditions in which people are born and grow and live and work and their age, that can all be changed. That can all be influenced. And mental health and many common disorders are shaped to a great extent by the social, by the economic, by the physical environments in which people live. You know, it's amazing that when you look at the history of just family therapy, first off, we began with the Freudian psycho, uh, psychoanalysis where Freud dealt with individuals and then he would diagnose and he would uh, go through the process with them of healing individually. 
Family therapy generally came about somewhere in the 40s and the 50s when uh, they discovered that to heal someone's mental illness quickly, get the whole family together, understand the dynamic, understand the influence of the family and how they affect, how the mom and dads affect the children, how the brothers and sisters affect each other, how everybody interacts, how grandma and grandpa, even, you know, when they extended it out beyond just the the nuclear family, what they discovered was these influencers and these problems and these mental illnesses could get resolved a lot faster by using and understanding the systems that operate with a family and the structure of a family and how they communicate, how they interact with each other, how they reinforce each other's negative behaviors, how they create homeostasis, which means they they maintain a balance even if it's unhealthy because they're afraid of change. And so what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of social aspects that exacerbate and create deeper and and uh, 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 mental illnesses that are necessary. There's depression, there's anxiety, there's uh, all kinds of different uh, bipolar. All of these factors can be exacerbated by the environment and by the sense of socioeconomic uh, uh, abilities that people have. You know, taking action to improve the conditions of daily life from before birth, during early childhood, uh, at school age, during family building, during working ages and older ages, provides opportunities both to improve population mental health and reduce the risk of mental disorders that are associated with social inequalities. And, and you know, the other thing is uh, when we neglect to treat people with mental illnesses that are out on the streets, we increase the amount of sexual predators and people that are prone to violence and prone to hurt other people without accountability, without the ability to hold themselves accountable to know better because they have mental illnesses. And I'm not saying that they are victims. They're not victims by any means. But what we do as a society is we're making our society more dangerous by allowing these people uh, go without treatment of some kind. Uh, Many people experience uh, mental disorders, which means poor mental health, do, if it's if it's uh, not reached for diagnosis or help for the mental disorders, that basically they affect a large proportion of our population. Uh, you know, mental illnesses refers to depression, anxiety, uh, which are very common, as well as schizophrenia and bipolar. Uh, these are pervasive disorders that are out there. And when we don't get a handle on them as a society, what we're doing is we're stressing out the people that are healthy to some degree, the families that are feeling somewhat safe. We're not policing ourselves enough to allow our communities to thrive. We have tons of third world cities, neighborhoods within big communities. Look at Chicago, look at New York, look at Los Angeles. All of them have pockets of third world societies living within societies that have much more. And of course, those third world societies are going to resent the people that have. And there is going to be rules and and a sense of policing that is going to be different within those communities. You can't just treat every community as the same when they don't have the same 
resources available to them. But in poor communities where people don't have the access to mental health treatment, of course you're going to find more violence. Of course you're going to find more kids that are traumatized in school. Of course there's going to be more sex crimes. Of course there's going to be more drug use and, and more alcohol abuse. And there's going to be more abuse, period, of domestic violence and people witnessing trauma on a continuous basis. And this affects people's brains. It affects people's brains in a sense of they may become unhappy in their life, but unhappy in their job because their job may also be stressful. They also, uh, you know, may work long hours just to keep themselves away from the community which they live in. You know, being insecure about your life and advancement and being insecure about the resources that you have can create enormous amount of depression and a sense of hopelessness and a sense of anxiety and a sense of a low self-esteem. So, you know, what we want to do is we want to create opportunity for people, give them a chance to thrive, give them a chance to be in front of healthy people, give them a helping hand, give them a healthy transaction between two people communicating. You know, uh, when you're facing discrimination, it, it, especially if society is not being supportive, uh, life stresses have a big impact. And uh, also looking at the sense of just normal stuff that each of us go through, the death of a loved one, divorce, loss of a job, increased financial obligations, getting married, moving to a new home, chronic illnesses or injury, emotional problems like depression, anxiety and grief, guilt low self-esteem, all of these are a factor even of healthy people's lives. But people that are in poverty are going to have this kind of stuff exacerbate them. They're going to have a sense of living on the edge. You know, uh, uh, having to take care of an elderly or a sick family member because there's no uh, uh, insurance available to, to assist them can be also very captivating and very traumatic for people, not only if they're healthy and they have the resources, but when you don't, you are the full-time medical person in that person's life. You know, also we have to look at stress that comes from the inside. A lot of people that are in poverty communities are prideful and so and they feel a sense of loyalty to one another. They feel a sense of uh, uh, but but when you live in a poverty community and let's say you don't belong there, there's fear and uncertainty. And when you regularly hear about the threat of terrorist attacks or global warming or violence down the street or gangs or toxic chemicals, it can cause you to feel pretty stressed out, especially because you feel like you have no control over these events. And so people that live in communities that are third world-like are like, like a match. And anything can trigger those people to, to prey upon one another. You know, uh, uh, it's, you know, their attitudes and perceptions are entirely different. How they view the world or a particular situation can determine what causes stress. For example, if your television set's stolen, you may take the attitude, it's okay, my insurance company will pay for a new one, but you'd be far less stressed if, if uh, you know, you look at it and go, my, my TV's gone, I'll never get it back because I can't afford to have insurance. So they just took my one form of entertainment, my television, so they could go sell or go buy drugs for themselves. You know, uh, and thieves do come back 
and steal from places where they successfully stole before. Similarly, people who feel like they're doing a good job at work will be stressed out by a big upcoming project that the, those uh, that, that may view them as incompetent. So people that live without resources that may be suddenly presented with the resources to do their job may be unfamiliar with how to do their job because they have never had the resources before and now they develop the insecurity to move forward and help themselves. So, you know, people that are impoverished, people that are in poverty, people that have mental health issues need to continuously reach out for help. And they need those of us that have the resources, that have the mental ability to help, we need to develop more of proactive manners in which we try to help people with their lives and try to create resources, try to, try to create places where they can go, try to at least give them without giving money, but give them the resources or places where they can go to help themselves. You know, change, any major life's change can be stressful, even a happy event like a wedding or a job promotion. But but uh, unpleasant events like divorce, uh, financial setbacks, death, death in a family is a significant source of stress. And in stressful situations, your body launches into a physical response. Your nervous system springs into action, releases hormones that prepare you to either fight or take off. You know, it's that fight or flight response. And when you live in poverty, you live in a continuous fight or flight scenario. That means the reptilian brain, since the brain is a muscle, the reptilian brain of reacting or flying, the sense of feeling unsafe, that muscle becomes much stronger than the prefrontal cortex where logic and the human thought is. You know, if your stress system stays activated over a long period of time, which is called chronic stress, which is people that live in poverty, it can lead to more serious health problems, more serious mental health problems. And so we as a society need to come to grips with the idea of how people are affected by their environment and by their level of poverty. And we can't just look at the basics We've got to look at how that is affecting us in a society if we're living around impoverished people and if we're living around people with major mental health issues, especially if we have a poor police force. All right, that's our show. I want to thank everybody for listening. I enjoy hearing from so many of you. My email is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Now remember, you know you're poor when you mix Taco Bell hot sauce with ramen noodles. The other thing is, the whole world is not against you. Not everyone's met you yet. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 